Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes. Special guest, back in again. Haven't seen you for a couple of years, John Lloyd. Hello, Is it Sean. Sir John Lloyd yet? <laughs> no. Why not? <laughs> well, I got this gong a few years ago. You have to wait a long time, even if I were to get one, but I don't think you... What gong did I've you reached, get? I peaked CBE. And so did you have to go to the palace and... Yeah, well, actually, it was Windsor, which was... Cheapskates. Um... <laughs> They wouldn't let you in the book, pal? I think it's the first time they've done it in Windsor. No, no, it's much nicer at Windsor. It's where they... That's their home, really. Well, no, but and Buckingham Palace is... No, that's the office. Prince Philip it's calls it the office. big office. Yeah. But I thought they did them all at the palace, and did you do the sword and all that? I don't think they do swords unless you're a knight. They... What did they, they gave you some football stamps or something. They didn't give you anything. <laughs> you get a little uh, thing you can wear around your neck. Not even a medal? Yeah, a little medal, yeah, right. on, a, on a ribbon. I've never worn it, actually. For, Ever? But you feel, you feel a bit of a nana, wouldn't you? At home, when you're a bit drunk? <laughs> put it on? It just sits on my mantelpiece. Oh. Is it in a case now, yeah? Is it just in a little box, yeah. And who gave it to you? The Queen. And what, what did she say to you? Well, you know, it's... it's, it's there you go. It's such put a that cliche, in your mantelpiece. Sean. All this, everything everybody ever says is true is that you are reduced to a gibbering wreck. I right. was there with, uh, I think, the Air Chief Marshal was getting a knighthood or something, and he was, like, shaking like a small boy and kept bumping into the furniture. Everyone gets nervous. And what was he? I think he was the Air Chief Marshal, something like that. He shouldn't be flying planes. Head of the Air Force. He shouldn't be flying planes if he's shaking no, all the time. But everyone does. You, this, is, this is what happens when you... And you have this... Uh, of course, in one way, it, it's extraordinary. The Queen arrives with an entourage of... Uh, Corgis. Well, before that happens, you're shown to your seat by a bloke with more gold braid than you would normally see in a sort of... Well, Mr. T. <laughs> Not gold teeth. Gold braid. Yeah, he wears all the... So senior, senior officer shows you to your seat, and everybody's incredibly nice. And the thing that first happened was I turned up with... Um, it was rather nice. I'd, uh, my mum, who's now 96, was then 92 or something... Uh, my wife and my younger daughter, so three generations of ladies. So they were allowed, you're allowed to bring as many people as you want? I think you can have up to four, something like that. OK. Or maybe three. They give you dinner? Uh, and as we arrived, all these um, guys with machine guns sort of saying, oh, good afternoon, Mr Lloyd. I don't know how they knew it was me. And as I walked into the, uh, into the castle, this very nice woman said, oh, hello again, John. I thought, what? Uh, and I suddenly remember she was the housekeeper at Buckingham Palace because for the Queen's... Uh, Jubilee, I shot uh, some commercials with Rowan in there. Okay. Uh, as, a, as the latest member of um, the Blackadder dynasty, advertising right. the, the Jubilee concerts. So I've been in there as well. So, yeah, you're getting the bow, aren't you? <laughs> you're doing all right for yourself. But so, it, you do have this terrific sense of um, that all's right with the world. It really does seem, you know, it's the sort of England that, that people dreamed of. Um, uh, very wonderful sunny day and all that. It's terrible cliches. And, and the Queen sort of 
says something, and you, I think she said, um, you must have a very interesting job. And I said, well, um, apart from yours, your majesty, probably the most interesting ever. And you said, no, why did I say that? Couldn't I have thought of something funnier? Well, but so, um, and that's all she said to you? Uh, that's all, yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, there's a bit of mumbling, and then, and then I bumped into the furniture, you know. And did they shaking. give you a meal then afterwards? Yeah, you have, uh, there's, yeah, the sort of drinks and snacks and... It's not a sit-down, it's not a banquet or anything. No, there. no, no, no. But, um, so, but you, I wouldn't have had you down as a royalist, though. Well, um... <laughs> Long silence. I think I am a royalist, <laughs> actually. I mean, in the question, sense no? that I think there's a very... Uh, uh, thinking back to my um, British constitution, O-level... Um, I think there's a very good case for a non-political head of state, you know, symbolic head of state, because when you look at what's going on in certain countries of the world, when you've got an executive head of state, yeah. an awful lot of things can go quickly wrong. Well, um, like Turkey with their president. And then you have to ask yourself, who can you think of that you would like to have as president of Britain? And I, apart from David Attenborough, who I would obviously vote for, it's too I can't think of anyone else. Brian Cox. <laughs> President Cox. Oh, but the lovely country and the huge molecules. He's <laughs> taken over from Attenborough, though, hasn't he? I love Brian. He's great, isn't he? He's absolutely. I was just watching a whole of clips of his stuff, you know, how how water works and um, uh, why the moon is there and all that. Beautiful. But really. you like all those kind of facts, don't you? I do, How's yeah. your novel getting on, by the way? Oh, it's still, uh, um, it's still parked, Sean. That's been a while now. I know. Well, it's just it's just having the time to... You know, I'm busier, really, than I ever have been, in a way. So. Well, last time I saw you, you were embarking on a kind of new career, in a sense, of doing live yeah. uh, shows. And you really loved that, didn't you? I really loved it. It was a big sort of turning point for me because, in a way, I spent more than 40 years sort of fixing other people's yeah. shit, you know? And I started out wanting to be a writer-performer. And it was that first month in Edinburgh, when was that... Was it three years ago? Yeah. Um, and it went brilliantly, didn't it? It did. It did go well. Well, it's 40 years of anecdotes stored up, you know. But I'm sure it you've got like plenty I, more. Are you going to do more live well, shows? Well, I've done two now. I did, I did one... Well, that's four years ago, so what was it? It would have been t 2013. And then we did Museum of Curiosity Live in 2014. And then last year, I did a thing called uh, Emperor of the Prawns, uh, which... Is uh, so the first one was anecdotes essentially, and the third one was my take on how the universe operates, what it's made of, what the point of it is. Um, prawns, <laughs> prawns feature certainly, <laughs> but it's a big, Majorly. it's a big, uh, it's a big subject, and um, and uh, that's really what interests me, frankly, at the moment. I mostly have to earn a living and so, so on. Well, you're still doing QI, though, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but uh, QI in itself is, this may sound a, an odd thing to say, but for me, QI is a search for meaning. It, in, in the small and the particular, like raspberries and, um, you know, rabbits and things like that. And then seeing how that connects to big ideas like there are in quantum physics or in Greek philosophy. That's what the core of the idea is. Yeah, it's I mean, about what on earth is going on. I think on, really. they uh, edit those bits out, don't they? <laughs> what? Quantum physics? Yeah. No. But so, I was uh, having lunch with Adam Hills uh, recently, and uh, he said to me that you gave him the best piece of advice he's ever been given, and it was about QI. Can you remember what it was? 
No, but I'm famously bad at giving advice. I was the guy who told Ben Elton never to go on the stage or Clive Anderson never to do a chat show. I, <laughs> I was completely wrong. wrong. No, I wasn't totally wrong. But uh, he said uh, to me that... About QI, yeah. don't prepare anything, just be yourself, respond. There was a bit of that, but he said... Uh, you came up to him and said, just pretend, I know this is your first time on QI, but pretend it's your second time on, because oh. the first time everyone's shit. <laughs> well, but that's not quite true, because some people are, are... But do you remember saying that? He said that was a brilliant piece of advice, a really relaxed I, I, I don't... I, Stephen Fry has this great thing that he says he often doesn't know what he thinks until his lips start moving, and I feel the same way. Yeah. These things come out intuitively. Um, I've over the years people quite often say do you remember that thing you said to me and I, I know yeah. and I never yeah, remember we're all it. like that oh good I'm glad it's not just but, me um, and so is it going to be radically different now that Stephen isn't doing it anymore well it's a very odd thing Sandy stepped into that chair which mm -hmm. obviously had to be raised about a foot <laughs> um, and so that she could see over the desk uh, but um, she's Danish isn't she she is Danish yeah. so you'll get that well Danish half Danish kind of a dad's Danish but yeah, you'll get kind of the uh, the Danes will take on the program now. We get a we get a lot of um, uh, Danish jokes, which usually expresses either Norwegian or Swedish jokes, which which annoys her considerably. Yeah, well, it would but be. she is absolutely lovely. She is so uh, well briefed and charming. And well, she's very intelligent. Yeah, she's very bright. She's very nice, and we're all. It's a complete um, whatever the opposite of a bromance is a romance, I suppose. Fair um, and she's, and she's a joy. So also, uh, you were involved with the uh, that last program that came out. Uh, what was it called? This is not the news or something. No such thing as the news. It's yeah. based on the QI podcast, which yeah. is four of our. Which you did live as well. That we've done that for two years, yeah. once a week. Um, no such thing as a fish. That's called. Yeah, and that's in front of an audience, a paid in. Not necessarily. Audience. No, it started in the office. Yeah, but then you and then, on then tour. we on tour, we're on tour, and sometimes you know, biggest one I think we did was Piccadilly Theatre. I think it was thousand people or something. You know, it's very popular podcast. Not obviously as big as this one, but um, you know, you can only but try. But but with the, uh, <laughs> have you won two Chortle Awards in a row? That's what I want to know, Sean. How many awards have we got, Dave? <laughs> We give each other cups of tea and stuff like yeah. that. But um, with the uh, program, because I know, because uh, I know Dan, uh, who was uh, chairing the uh, TV show, and I know it was BBC News. So yeah. the budget was minimal, wasn't it? It was. Uh, somebody pointed out after the first episode on Twitter, it looks like a hostage video. Yeah, it really is very, very cheap. I know. Yes, um, but that was that was the brief. Um, the news. BBC News uh, in the form of James Harding and his number two, uh, Keith Bl Blackmore, came and said, we found a slot, a short slot, like five or six programmes. Can you make an entertaining programme about, about the news for nothing? I know. So we went is and thought about it and, um, and then we thought, well, this is great. Well, all we have to do is reversion the podcast so that it's all topical. So we tested that with our own, got, you know, some um, GoPro cameras and shot it down at, up the creek in Greenwich and it's obviously worked straight away. No, it's a good programme but as I say, like I'd hope if it came back there'd be better standards. Well, I'm not sure. I like it the way it is. It and, looked uh, very cheap, John. The audience uh, the, the preponderance of the audience really like it. It was originally designed to go in a very odd slot, 7 o'clock on a Saturday between X Factor and Strictly. That's very odd. Yeah, and the, and the controller of BBC Two said... Nobody wants this slot. The former controller, I think it was, 
Um, and she said to News, you can have the slot if you want it, because no programme makers want it, if you, can, if you can pay for it. So what do they put in there in the end? I can't remember, but when they saw the pilot uh, test, really, it was... Yeah. Uh, they said, "Oh, this deserves a better slot. This is, you know." Did it get good ratings? Yeah, um, but uh, it it did. But what was really remarkable was the catch-up ratings, because Friday night at eleven, most young people are uh, are out. But we lowered the age range of the BBC considerably, of but, BBC Two, so down to amazingly fifty-five, I think. But we lowered the age to fifty-five but isn't it average now age. That uh, people didn't necessarily watch it on the Friday night. They just watch it on catch-up and stuff. Well, young people particularly, not so much middle-aged and older people who still... Because they don't know what button to press. The, no, the vast vast majority of people all over the world still watch television the normal way, but the young are all changing. None of my kids are all in their 20s ever watch television in a linear way. So what was happening was that people go out and you know, get whammed on a Friday night, and over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, they watch it on iPlayer, and the mm. figures there were extraordinary. Um, yeah. I, I hear that um, no um, BBC programme to that point, TV programme, ever got more than 30% extra viewers right. on catch-up. We get 60%, That's so we've brilliant. doubled the catch-up rate. Right, and that was another... Off, another stop showing off, John? No, no, it's not that, because here's the thing, Sean. There has never been a programme that I've done, and I've done lots and lots in the yeah. last 40-odd years, that has been so delightfully easy for me to do, because the elves, QI elves as they're known, they... Uh, research it, mm -hmm. they uh, write it, they perform it, and they edit it themselves. All I have to do is go and approve the cut, essentially. That's all you do? So you're pretty much editing it, then? Well, I, yeah. I mean, me and Keith, uh, the uh, managing editor of BBC News, just go along and just laugh, and we may make two or three very small changes, because sometimes when you sit a bit back from it, you can see a little fix that can be done. Mm -hmm. And I help out with, you know, a few facts and so on, but it, I think it's unique in, uh, in television, in the history of television, because I, as the producer, have no idea what anyone is going to say during the course of the recording. you have a look at the scripts before. No, that. we don't. There, are, there is no script. It's all But they work extemporary. on the... Cause, like, all, we, all we know is there are four one-liners. My fact is... Yeah. My fact is, my fact is. And they're told that, so then they can... No, no, no they, they, they find them themselves. Yeah, but no, then they're told what other facts are so they can jump in. They, the elves know the day before... Yeah. They each tell all the others yeah. what their fact is. But again, they only get that one-liner. So literally only four lines of the programme is scripted. No, it was very good. My only problem, and not with your programme, my only problem with all TV comedy is I wish, especially in front of a live audience, I wish they wouldn't cut to the audience so much. Because I think it's letting people say, this is the funny bit. Would you agree with that? Well, practically speaking, um, there's an editing thing there. Yeah. It's in order to shorten it, because we recorded about an hour or so, an hour and a bit. To get it down to the half-hour slot, you have to have something to cut away to, or you have to have many more cameras, which we can't afford, as you can tell. So, and actually, again, it is not... I mean, the balance may be wrong, but it is generally not disliked, as the cheapness is greatly not disliked, because people are actually bored stiff with the glitz of television that is content-free. Now, well, like dramas. I mean, things like daytime quizzes and... Not, right. not dramas. Dramas doing well on television, I would say. Um, but again, a lot of the best drama is very pared down. A lot of that Scandinavian stuff is an office and a road and, yeah. you know, not much Did to look at. Did you watch Peaky Blinders? No, but I'm looking forward to that. That's great, that is. I hear. 
<coughs> so on a day-to-day basis, uh, what are you doing now? Well, the uh, the the upshot of doing these uh, shows in Edinburgh, that was uh, the worst review I got. I got very good reviews the first year. I was really taken aback by how good they were. Because I think people had low expectations, you know. Yeah, but there's also a lot of goodwill towards you. I, I don't know. But I think they they didn't. They thought, well, you know, probably poor old chap. He'll probably he'll probably stagger through it and give him a bit of an applause at the end. But actually, because it is something I know how to do, uh, it's and all those years of practice years ago. But were you really nervous when you started doing those? Absolutely, it was the most horrifically writing it. You know what it's like. The but just going up, just before you go on stage. Oh no, no. Uh, well, I was the first two or three days, and then people would come. You know, I remember one particular, particular in the front row is sitting the director general and his PA, Andrew Marr and Mrs. Marr, and immediately behind them, David Mitchell and Victoria Corrin Mitchell. And you think, yeah, this is pressure. Hard. So then there's a joke about, uh, well, there's a, the, the two Ronnies got a mention in the show. And one day I turned up to the show and behind the door was Ronnie Corbett. With no pressure. <laughs> So you've got quite a lot of famous people coming, comics particularly, seeing who are obviously lots of friends of mine come along to see whether they're any good. And I did get one review in The Guardian which said, this bloke isn't a stand-up by any definition. This was Brian Logan, was it? I can't remember who it was. I can't think what the difference is. I was standing up and telling jokes, but it's not a stand-up routine. He said he's not a stand-up, but he's got a great career ahead at the Rotary Club. Right. And that proved prophetic, Sean, because now I'm having the whale of a time doing after-dinner speaking. And so it's just for, like, private companies? Yeah, it's corporates. I mean, I go all over the country, um, and you meet the most extraordinary selection of people. Yeah, but it's more ka-ching, ka-ching, isn't it? It's not actually. It's about the same. It is very nice after more than 35 years doing public speaking for free to be paid for it as well is great and I really really enjoy it and, and I do enjoy it. I know it sounds ridiculous but you know they often say but you have to go to the dinner I said that's the bit I like because you know you might do the ombudsman for example so I'm sitting between um, a couple of ombudsmen across the table is the future president of Ireland this incredibly uh, charming woman I can't possibly tell you her name it's a state secret <laughs> and uh, you know or you get um, the shipping industry um, I did the Lloyd's List good uh, joke to start with Lloyd's List shipping awards you know and you're sitting between so this is an awards thing where you're actually sometimes there. awards sometimes just uh, annual dinners I did the Nuclear Industries Annual Dinner, 1,500 people at Grove in the House. I was sitting between a submarine admiral. And one with a big button. <laughs> but it's, it is, it's for, for, for a QI person, right. you get inside an industry that you would not normally be able to. So the, the, the nuclear industry, particularly, fascinating conversation with uh, one of the big cheeses who used to be a minister in the Blair government, I think telling me about how a nuclear power station works and how important they are and how cheap the energy is. It's really great. But would you, like, like if someone rang up me and said, oh, would you do the nuclear, you know, I'd go, well, I don't really believe in nuclear kind of uh, weapons. Well, you've got to get real, Husey boy. <laughs> so I have to believe. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying that, but I mean, I think... Uh, but what I'm saying is, would there be something that you kind of go, no, I don't agree with? Of course. I'm sure I haven't had that yet. And very often it's... I'll tell you one thing, in these difficult, uncertain times we're going through at the moment, one thing that forcibly struck me by meeting all these... And they tend to be, you know, a preponderance of men. Most people are 50, roughly. 
but whether it's, it's you know, retail or accountancy or tax or judges or you know um, this huge range of the people who run things not just commercially but public service of 500 NHS managers in Liverpool for example it generally your take on the way the country is run and how it's working is that there are an awful lot of people working very hard who are intelligent and sensible and so on, which is not the impression you generally get. Yeah, I know what you mean. But would it it just be you on or would it be stand-ups as well? No, just me, usually. Because, like, I I don't do corporates because I've got a soul, but um, (laughs) I know a lot of comics who do them, but they hate them. Well, yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it's never about what they do. It's not me selling something or talking about the motor industry or indeed the nuclear industry. Some might have the odd joke popped in to show I'm paying attention. It's just entertainment and what is, what's neat for these guys... Is it guys, anecdotes again? Yeah, it's a bit from the first show. Right. So it's 25, 30 minutes of that, usually. It's a piece of piss, really, isn't it? But what's a joy for everybody is that it's fun for me because there's nothing, as you know, nothing more fun than making lots of people laugh. And free dinner. And a free dinner. Uh, and, uh, and the people that I'm talking to generally, they're about... 10, 15 years younger than me. So when I was making all that famous telly in the 80s, Blackadder and Spitting Image, not the 9 o'clock news, these guys were like, you know, 13, 14 kind of age. So, so it's like, I, well, I honestly, I, was, I did a, a motor traders thing. Interesting fact. So they were the, the top 100 motor traders in the country. The top 10 of these turned over £27 billion last year. Isn't that amazing? Just selling cars. And that's a very low margin business. And afterwards, I got talking to one of the uh, traders on my table. It's a bloke in his late 40s, early 50s. And he said, you've got to meet my brothers. So I got these three motor traders all quoting Not the Nine O'Clock News wow. by rote, by, off by heart from what, they were, what they'd watched in the 80s, you know. Did I they? would like some deodorant, please, ball or aerosol. <coughs> Neither. I want it for my armpits. You know, I used that in my uh, show. Did you? Yeah. As, not as my joke, but uh, just as a joke that I heard when I was a kid. Uh, but um, So there you go. But um, And did they give you a free car? No, generally I drive myself, usually. Yeah, but these guys obviously loved you. Surely they could have went, we made 28 billion last year, John. Pick a motor. Oh, you get, but sometimes you get uh, interesting offers to come and visit things, or um, you know, occasionally make friends with people and see them later on. And uh, I mean, it's just an ideal. Anyway, it no free gifts. <laughs> no, it's being paid is 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 more. Than, but also doing a lot of voiceovers now. That's another offshoot of that. So um, so what's happening to you, John? You write. I know. I'm like Orson Welles. My, I'm leading. I'm leading my life show. back to front. You know, yeah. I started with my masterpiece when young, and now as an old person, I'm doing ads for peas. What was your uh, pea ad? Oh no, I'm Quickfit. Have you heard my? Do it. It's all about the service. That's all you say. No, no. There's a lot of stuff about offers and things. But, it's really but, good. They're terribly nice people. I know, so, so, this sounds so, so ridiculously optimistic, doesn't it? But it was. Uh, but I found uh, again, I don't do voiceovers because you know. Yeah, because you got a soul. Soul yeah. thing, and uh, <laughs> but I did one, and they make you do like even if you have one line, they go, "No, you're not quite saying it right." Were you getting a lot of that? No, I don't. Never get that. I was 15 years directing commercials. I don't have a soul, as you can tell. So as a, as a commercials director, you you, you, I, I know how to, I know how to do it. I know what they want, and the thing is, I wouldn't claim to be any sort of oil painting on television, but on radio, it's a medium I love, and I know exactly what they need. Again, they have very low expectations, and you do the line, and they go, 
God, that was brilliant. I said, no, I can do it much better than that. No, no, it's great. How, how did you do that? So, and it's the same with the after-dinner speaking, definitely. They're all thinking, oh, we tried so hard to get Stephen Fry and he was too much. Or then we tried, you know, uh, Giles Brandreth, but he's booked somewhere else. Is this and how they introduce you on stage? Yeah, that's it. we got this other bloke. He's probably a tennis player. That's about what you get. And, and, and so they don't uh, expect the first joke hits them and they just get, there's a kind of audible gasp as people go, he just said fuck and he's wearing a dinner jacket. <laughs> But um, so it's that thing of is that what you mainly do now? Is that no, no? Because this QI is um, you know it, it's the world's smallest empire, but it is a sort of it, it does so many things with the podcast, the television spin-off of the podcast. That we've just done sixteen uh, shows with Sandy Toxvig for they the television come out show. Yet, no, we're just editing now. Right, two series of Museum of Curiosity this year. Um, and so there's all that to cover and, you know, just running a small office and uh, all that that entails. You are rolling in it, though, aren't you? No, it, oddly, it's funny, you know, that money doesn't stick to me very much. I, I can't claim to be broke or anything. We are solvent, but, you know, it relies entirely on g getting recommissioned because it's very hard to make a living off one television series a year. Was there talk when uh, Fry left that you thought, oh, they might actually not recommission QI? Um, I, there was no talk of not recommissioning it, but there was a long, long discussion with the former controller as to who would take over. And did you have a proper say in that? Well, it took a long time, uh, but I was quite sure that Sandy Toxic was the only person who could step into S Stephen's boots. And if she said no, you would have been ringing me, yeah? I w no, I would have killed the series. Thanks a bunch. <laughs> I know, perhaps I wouldn't. Perhaps that's... that's, that's uh, but I don't think... There were five or six other people that we considered, but I don't think any of them have got the breadth, breadth of the mixture of... She's got erudition. She's very good at getting on with all sorts of disparate people. Um, she's very warm, and she's also very naughty in the way that Stephen is mischievous. Well, you're kind of describing me, really, so I don't understand why. I know, but I'm saving you for later, Sean. OK. Just when I get cancer or something, <laughs> the make-a-wish thing. <laughs> so what happened to the novel, then? Because you were very excited about that last time. Well, the novel, a lot of the novel, the ideas in the novel, went into The Emperor of the Prawns. Right. Um, so this novel's not going to happen, then? I, I'm not sure about that. I... Uh, I do think about it pretty much on a daily basis. Well, you have but it's just time. You, know, it's you have a little cry time. that you never quite got round to it. No, I, uh, no, crikey, I can't complain. I've had plenty of success. I don't really, and Absolutely. I'm not. I'm personally, I'm not. I know this sounds weird, but I'm not personally ambitious these days. I don't, you know, but wish I had. If I this remember, or I want... the novel was going to be the answer to everything, yeah. wasn't it? So that's but I did that show in Edinburgh, and I wasn't actually made Archbishop of Canterbury or anything. Nothing happened, really. The bit just passed without notice. But it was very... I got asked to do that. <laughs> did you? Yeah. But, you know, I'm Catholic. So I just well, said, it's time for a change, I think. <laughs> no, you know. I don't think Protestants don't even believe in God. You know, you know what you're like. <laughs> so then for yourself, then, like, obviously QI takes a... Are you an atheist Catholic? I am, yeah. Okay. I think anyone who believes in heaven and hell is an idiot. I think that's something that you scare your kids with, don't you? Well, OK, so I certainly don't believe in that, but that is part of the thing that a novel seeks to explain, is these ideas that are embedded in religion and covered up with, you know, tonnes and tonnes of all the stuff we know about religion, the, you know, the ritual and the liturgy and the, 
the sacred texts and so on, but underneath the core of all religions are the but you know I read are saying essentially the same thing I love religion um, I hate what it does to the world but um, yeah but also it does good things well I think people are going to have good morals anyway regardless of having to believe in something I don't think there's any um, no, we mustn't get drawn on, on uh, contemporary politics I'd much rather talk about the meaning thing because yeah but it's like people do such bad things in the name of religion they do bad things in the name of nationalism and in indeed um you know uh, politics and uh, and um you know it's it's about Just people are bad aren't they no but this is again one of the peculiar paradoxes of the universe is people are both good and bad at once there are yeah. extremely few uh genuinely bad people as there are extremely few if any perfect ones most of us are in the spectrum, in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. But a book that you would love, because I take it you're a big reader anyway, Yeah. is a book called Jesus the Man by Barbara Thierland, and she explains every miracle uh, in a brilliant way. Okay. Like the virgin birth was, because uh, at that time, Jews weren't allowed to have sex during a certain period, so it was okay. called the virgin birth. Okay. And the water into wine, mm. fascinating one, was uh, at Jewish weddings at the time. There used to be a high house and a low house, and uh, this was a class system, and Jesus went there and said, this is wrong, and everyone should mingle, hence the water was changed into wine. But all these are just explained brilliantly. I think you'd love this book. Well, uh, I have a particular thing about the wedding at Cana, which is um, because there's a very good essay by Tolstoy about um, the New Testament where he says, if you take out the miracles as probably later propaganda, Yeah. Or misunderstanding, or whatever. It's Jesus is uh, Tibetan Buddhist to the letter. Everything Jesus actually said is Tibetan Buddhism. Right. But what I've always thought is that um, you know, because he was such a popular speaker, I, I'm sure he was funny. You know. They kind of kept that out of the Gospels. If I ask you for an egg, will you give me a scorpion? People go, oh, brilliant line. But it's a bit like no, no. I mean, they, they, everybody. Well, perhaps everybody doesn't know this, but the Gospels were extensively. The whole Bible, in fact, was extensively rewritten um, in the 4th century AD by Bishop Athanasius of Alexandria to make it more suitable to be a, a, an imperial Roman religion. So they took it all the time. So it is, not, it is literally not the literal word of God. It's been, it's been, it's been um, edited. But didn't uh, Catholics used to believe in reincarnation? until? And so did the early Christians. Until they thought that people wouldn't try hard enough. And so, in fact, do 60% of, as you know, America's uh, you know, still a very religious Christian country, 60% of Americans believe in reincarnation. So there's a lot of people who go to church and believe in reincarnation, which you're not supposed to do. It's a, it's a heresy. Yeah. But that's, the, that's what interests me is, like, I could never get the heaven and hell thing because what kind of entity would give you one chance and then, if you don't behave... That's, you know, it's a bit like a referendum. You know, you get one go and that's it forever. I don't, I don't, but, and I don't know whether I believe in reincarnation, but the great thing about Buddhism as a philosophy, a non-theistic philosophy, is it's completely logical. I've never been able to find a flaw in the logic of it. And I so think you think you'll be reincarnated? Well, it, it depends what you mean, Sean, but I mean, one of the ideas in the show last back year... I as a prawn. <laughs> Well, this the idea is um, 
the idea that's part that was the thing at the end of the thing we're all prawns ladies and gentlemen some of us rise to be emperor but all of us get boiled and eaten in the end well that's charming <laughs> no but the thing is it's what I happen to think sure, is yeah. that uh, that there isn't any such th- I think that uh, the physical body uh, dies obviously we know that but whether the consciousness does I think that's a very different question well I'll tell you my theory and see if you agree with hmm. it I think everlasting life is your final thought Okay. Better have some good thoughts then. Well, that's why the whole thing of, like, you try to have a good life so you're not at the end going, Aah. but so, you know, just your final thought will be, because that's, that's your conscious, then it's gone. So that is your eternity. Well, okay, so the theory in the show is that it's the other way up. That's one of the key ideas, that many things are the other way up. You know, the sun doesn't rise in the east, go over the head and go down in the west. It's the other way up. The world is going round towards a from our point of view, static sun. See, I'd like to hear that in a voiceover for Quick Crit. Well, I do anything for Quick Crit. Before you get your tyres <laughs> straightened, the sun doesn't rise from the east. That would be great. It's, that's what, well, it's that's a that's complicated world, Sean. You know, you buy jeans, you know, are you aware who makes them, where they come from? I mean, it's, very, it's a very complicated world. I, again, I would never do a voiceover for a, a product I knew to be rubbish. I haven't had to yet, so... But listen, uh, so we're finishing up now, so what's the next thing you're really looking forward to doing? OK, well, apart from the novel, which we'll probably be That's talking about happen. in another 20 years, I'm going to start a record label. That's my label. Because my son is, uh, uh, is a songwriter. He's, he's just amazingly good, so I'm going to... Well, listen, best of luck. Uh, what's his name? We'll give him a little... Harry. Just, just, he's like Morrissey, he's just got one but, name. No, he's, his name's Harry Lloyd, but um, uh, it's... Uh, it's not very rock and roll. The band's called Waiting for Smith. Waiting for Smith? Hmm. Harry Lloyd and the Waiting for Smiths? Not the Waiting Smith. OK. Waiting for Smith. Well, I'll check it out at some point. Thank you so much as ever, John, for coming in. Uh, I look forward to hearing your voice. Uh, look forward to watching QI. And uh, if I'm not listening to this podcast... Um, I'll listen to the elves t- doing their thing. You've been listening to John Lloyd talking to me, Sean Hughes. This has been Under the Radar. Uh, check out all John's great work. Thank you, Sean. It's all about the surface. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 